Good morning and welcome to this live edition of Ordinary Life, live stream edition. <laughs> I'm glad that you are able to be with us. Um, Ordinary Life is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church. And before we get into uh, today's topic, a few announcements. Uh, we got some feedback from people about the difficulty that you sometimes have with a live stream. You find it hangs up, you have to refresh your browser and all that sort of stuff. We had a steering committee meeting this past Monday and one of our technical gurus said, we have diff you, you likely have technical difficulties because there are so many people using the internet right now. So it depends on how recent your browser is, what OS, what operating system you have, where you might get routed. Um, Whether you're streaming from one device to another device yeah. rather than straight from the right. link to. And, and uh, we hear from people like we, Tom and Crystal Irving, you remember Crystal used to do announcements in this class all the time. They live in North Carolina now and they don't ever have any difficulty. So it depends on a number of factors. Believe me, if we could fix it so that you did not have any frustration <coughs> with the live stream, that would be wonderful. We just want you to be frustrated with the content, not with <laughs> We just we want to be the ones to frustrate. Not with the technical <laughs> not, not uh, aspect. Also, second <laughs> announcement. You know that there are uh, the, the country. Many places are reopening right now in a process of reopening, and some churches are. But because of the the size and the nature of St. Paul's, we are not going to be gathering for large groups uh, until we can do that safely. And if you want to know more about that, if you will go to St. Paul's website and look for the last pastoral message from uh, our senior minister, minister, Jeff McDonald, I think you'll find out uh, some very helpful information about that. We're in a time of dissent, and if you are aware of the writings of the mystics, you know that the descent, going into the dark night of the soul, is a particularly rich time to do uh, spiritual development. And that's what Holly and I are committed to do in these sessions going forward uh, to increase both our religious and spiritual literacy. Once again, I remind you that if you have a pastoral need, if you know of somebody who has a pastoral need, uh, contact us, call the church at 713 5280527, I don't call that number often, <laughs> or send me an email through the Ordinary Life website or contact the pastoral page through St. Paul's website. We want to know how you are doing and how we can help. So I hope your spiritual practice is going well. You know the needs that we announce of the EAC. And look what I brought, Holly. I see. Are we going to pass it between the two of us? Um, <laughs> no one can see it yet. It's a surprise. It's a collection plate. It's a collection plate. Yeah. So we just we want to say first of all thank you to anyone who has contributed to Ordinary Life um, and St. Paul's in general for the last six weeks. Months? It's almost been two months um, online. That is, uh, this class historically is so generous and we often have the opportunity to pass the collection plate, but we really want to say thank you so much for doing it online. There is a donate button on the website um, that takes you to a St. Paul's page, and uh, you have to put Ordinary Life in the memo. 
there, we'll send out a link to a little video that Richard made that's a helpful step-by-step -step in how to do that if you need it. But one of the things that we really want to be mindful of right now is that there, there are communities either because of joblessness or um, not having access to health care or not having equitable resources that are more affected by something like a pandemic than others. And we've tried to be really mindful of providing some funds towards some of those communities. For example, one thing that we uh, already have done is buy dinner for some of the uh, ER docs at Bentaub. Was it Bentaub? Bentaub. Right. We provided 50 meals. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so things like that. And, you know, we're not yet sure how this is going to go, whether we're going to see a spike in Houston or not, but we want to take care of those who have been helping us. And another thing that we were able to contribute some funds to were um, folks in the FAE Esperanza program who, or ministry, who may be needing some resources right now, whether it's food or... Particularly uh, around housing. Right, particularly around housing and rent. So. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity and for continuing to be mindful of those who don't have what some of us do have. Language is so tricky. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll say, somebody, can I ask you a question? Which is a Which question. Which is a question. Right? <laughs> so I don't want to break a vow of anything about this, but um, are you able, willing to go public about the auction? Oh, gosh, yeah. I don't know why I forgot that. We are doing an online sort of silent art auction, thanks to the suggestion of a class member. And there are several of us in the class, including our famous filmer's mother. And I hear William himself is quite a photographer, but that's just a little nudge in public. <laughs> um, but we have several people who have contributed one to four pieces um, online that we want to specifically have a silent auction to raise money to help people who might be more impacted by COVID-19. And we are going to make the auction live towards the second half of this month around May 18th. And we'll keep announcing it and we'll put the link in the summary so that you can see what pieces are already up online that you might want to keep your oh, eye do, on. Do we already have some oh, up? Yes. Yes. On the Ordinary Life Richard website? and I have been working on it over the last couple of weeks. Oh, it's really? not on the Ordinary Life website. It's its own website, which we'll send the link to. Oh, okay. And so you can keep an eye on art pieces that go up. And so when the auction goes live, you can you know, be mindful and be you, fitting you, on it. You are being very modest. What stimulated this is that somebody watched artwork that you did last week and said, who did that? I said, <laughs> You did the art, and you did a, a lot of art that we're going to see today. Some. Did I some. do some? I can't remember I think if so. it's on the slide. And so we'll get to see that, and you're going to put that up for auction. Some of it, yeah. 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 So. This is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be a fun way to engage with a little bit of raising money that will definitely go towards those who are under-resourced or in need. And, so. and when you do donate money to Ordinary Life, be sure in the memo just to put general fund Ordinary Life, because if you designate it for something special like speakers or something like that, and we've got funds for that, yeah. um, then it becomes part of a restricted fund that we cannot use for these charitable needs that are really so intense in our area mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah. So keep keep that in mind one more announcement part of our camera crew had a birthday 
Olivia Watson was 17 this past week. Yeah. And I think she's still 17. Huh? I think she is still 17. Oh, okay. But she was 17. <laughs> I was teasing. Well, thank you to Olivia and to William Budge and to John Watson and to Tim Leatherwood for making what you're seeing right now possible. Yeah. Um, and as always, no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here, and I will be so glad when we get to the place where we can be face-to-face yeah. -face in this space again. I miss it. I, I get energy from doing that. I miss the milling around in the hall out there with sacred cookies, and it's just going to be a while before we get to do that we again. Miss, we miss hugs. Hugs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I show this cartoon one more time. The building is closed, but the church is open. As you likely know, if you get the emails that contain the summary and a preview for this class, they go out every Tuesday and Friday. If you don't get them, send me an email and I'll put you on the list. Um, on their website and on every email, there is a poem by Hafiz. I love Hafiz. I do too. I think he's quickly becoming at least my favorite mystic. And poet. so um, Christian Afonso gave to Sherry and me a uh, two books, mm -hmm. two new books by Hafiz, and we have been reading from one of them at breakfast Which e one? every morning. Um, I heard God laughing. No, okay. it's, a, it's another collection. There's several. It's all right if you can't. But anyway, this, <laughs> this, since last Sunday, I found this, or this found me. Yeah. I have learned so much from God that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. The truth has shared so much of itself with me that I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even pure soul. Love has befriended Hafiz so completely. It has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. I love that. Beautiful. Isn't that just Fabulous. A, a wise man once told me that in each of us is like the fruit of the fruit of the fruit, that a pure essence yeah. that is deeper than right. what your mother, father think of you, what your sister or brother think of you, what the world thinks of you, even what your spouse thinks of you. Yeah. You know who might have told me that? Yeah. Yeah. And I also <laughs> said the, uh, repeatedly about the danger of putting labels on yourself. Yes. And next week in Ordinary Life, we're going to begin with another Hafiz poem yeah. that I found about when the nut cracked open. Yes, yeah, we read it, we read uh, it yesterday. Uh, that was that. great. Yeah. But I think this poem reflects the kind of adult spiritual maturity that we are shooting for, that, that one that's very <laughs> inclusive and, and forgiving. And so we're going to continue today and next Sunday talking about how can we step out of the grip that patriarchy has on us, both individually and collectively, so that we can experience this kind of healing and this kind of restoration. Mm -hmm. There is a saying attributed to Jesus that most all of you probably know by heart. It is, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is found in the Gospel of Matthew, and I wanted to show you how Eugene Peterson mm. renders this passage. Are you tired? Worn out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Eugene Peterson's interpretation of the Bible is my favorite. Right. You know, we met him. We attended a conference where yeah. Christian Wyman and Eugene Peterson were in conversation with each That's other. That's great. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. Early in March, uh, I was scheduled to give a talk for the Jung Center here. And um, at almost the last minute, mm -hmm. I mean the day before, it was canceled. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of concerns over the coronavirus. Right. And I was so relieved <laughs> because I thought, you know, I didn't quite have the talk like I wanted it to be. Yeah. And I thought, well, if we're going to be staying at home, I'm really going to benefit from this extra time. Yeah. I'm going to be able to clean off my desk and clean shelves off and, and that sort of thing. Mm, you've been pretty busy, though. I have been busier the last six weeks than I have been any six-week period part of this. And Plus the intensity of, of Zoom all the time. Yeah. I hate it. But I don't, I don't see an alternative. You know, when I, I famously kid about the fact that I don't attend staff meetings here at, the, at St. Paul's, but I attended a staff meeting, the first one on Zoom, mm -hmm. and 30-some-odd people on Zoom, I thought, this is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But as Zoom meetings have gone on and on and on, I find them very unsatisfying, very very demanding. I think the work is very demanding mm -hmm. to do. And um, although I love this, right. what we're doing, yeah. this also requires a little bit extra amount of work. And no, you can't wait till the last minute to... <laughs> We did it last night. We do, we do, we do. <laughs> but um, I think about the demands that the, the COVID virus is putting on people and people have, are angry, they're scared, they're grief stricken, they've lost so much or they're fearful of losing so much. So many small business people hanging on. And as you mentioned, the charitable work that we hope to do um, is going to people who usually work, say, in the back of the restaurant. They right. don't get insurance and they don't get mm -hmm. this and they don't have a cushion mm -hmm. and they have to pay rent right. and they have to provide food for the kids mm -hmm. and it's just so difficult. So I would like for you to consider these times in ordinary life opportunities and offerings to keep our ears open so that we can hear this invitation and, and respond to it, whether it's in a poem from Hafiz or in a New York Times article or a familiar saying of Jesus. Um, you've probably heard the saying, in the school of life we're given the test and then we learn the lesson. <laughs> yeah. So what are we to learn here? What do we learn out of this time 
and particularly uh, now that we are attempting to recover. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of Jesus stuff, and then I'm going to let Holly <laughs> take the ball and run with this. Um, I think that knowing who Jesus was historically and what Jesus said is critically important. Absolutely. And so the scholars that I trust say that this saying that you're seeing now really first appeared looking like this. Come to me, for justice is my yoke, and gentleness is my rule, and you will discover the state of rest. Now, though scholars put this saying in the database of Jesus' sayings, it is not original with Jesus. He was quoting out of his own Jewish tradition, Sophia. He was quoting the, the Jewish word for wisdom is Sophia. So we're calling this time today uh, hearing and responding, hearing and accepting Sophia's invitation. So Holly, yeah. <laughs> who's, who's Sophia? Who's Sophia? Well, as we'll see in a second, um, you know, Sophia is the, the Greek word for, for wisdom and philosophia is the love of wisdom. And really, as I'll read in a second, that Sophia is like the very breath, the very essence of all things, of God, of creation, of which is a word I struggled to say because I think it implies something. <laughs> um, but the Sof Sophia is the undergirding of all that is. And it's said that in the Old Testament, for example, that God was re interchangeably referred to as he, she, man, woman. And in the Psalms and the Proverbs, even Song of Solomon's and, and parts of the, the King James Bible, which don't exist in every version of the Bible, were in praise of the feminine, in yeah. praise of Sophia. We've lost a little bit of that. I bet most people are not aware of what you said three sentences ago, and that is the, the literal definition of the word philosophy mm -hmm. is love of wisdom. Which is feminine. Yes. Love of Sophia, obviously a female name, of the, the feminine wisdom. So this sort of inner knowing, this inner truth is our feminine. So a few, you can go on. I mentioned a few weeks ago that the King Solomon was endeared with the Queen Makeda, who may have also been known as the Queen of Sheba, who was an African queen. And she won him over with her, not only her riches and her jewels, but with her wisdom. And, and King Solomon evidently wrote in praise of Queen Makeda. I read a poem a couple weeks ago about that. She was most likely dark-skinned, African, Egyptian, and there's a few paintings behind us in which she's depicted. There are later paintings in which, you know, as, as Jesus also got successively lighter-skinned in paintings and art, Queen Makeda also did. But it is most likely, given that she's Egyptian, that she was a dark-skinned uh, woman. So there's this in the particular poem I'm about to read, Sophia, which means wisdom, is capitalized throughout the poem. So referring to wisdom not just as an idea, but as an entity, as a being. And she's described as God's beloved. The, this version comes from the Wisdom of Solomon, which is in the Apocrypha of the King James Bible. You could probably educate us a little more about the Apocrypha. 
but it reads, this is just part of it too. I could spend the whole class reading the whole thing, but I won't. For within her is a spirit, intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, active, incisive, unsullied, lucid, invulnerable, benevolent, sharp, irresistible, beneficent, loving to man, steadfast, dependable, unperturbed, almighty, all-surveying, penetrating all intelligentsia, pure and most subtle spirits. For wisdom is quicker for move than any motion. She is so pure, she pervades and penetrates all things. She is the breath, the power of God, pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty, hence nothing impure can find a way into her. She is a reflection of the eternal light, untarnished mirror of God's active power, image of goodness. Although alone she can do all, herself unchanging, she makes all things new. In each generation she passes into holy souls, she makes them friends of gods and prophets. For God loves only the man who lives with wisdom. She is indeed more splendid than the sun. She outshines all the constellations. Compared with light, she takes first place. I love that line. <laughs> For light must yield to night, but over wisdom evil can never triumph. She deploys her strength from one end of the earth to the other, ordering all things for good. Sounds like a lot of mothers I know. On our good days. On, a, on good days. <laughs> yeah. But in all seriousness, that is a praise poem. A praise poem for the feminine, a praise poem for, for Sophia, for wisdom. And I think for any of you who are doing caregiving, homeschooling, working, loving, holding up sort of the balance of all the people around you, just take that poem as, as a praise poem for you. Um, I want to return for a second to the word breath. She is the breath, the power of God. The word ruach in mm -hmm. Hebrew, it means breath, wind, or spirit. Right. It's the animating power of life, right? So Sophia is the animating power, the breath. And I just love that comparison, right? Because it also has a very sort of cosmos implication. You know, this cosmos that we live in is our animating power. It's our breath. And so many basic forms of contemplative practice start with paying attention to breathing, yeah. to the breath. Yeah. And both Thich Nhat Hanh and uh, Pima Chodron, and you talked about wanting to use Thich Nhat Hanh next Sunday, his relationship with uh, Martin Luther, but yeah. Bo, uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Uh, yeah. Both of them talk about how you can move beyond just counting the breath, paying attention to the breath, to allowing the intake to take in the pain and suffering of the world and the out-breath to give out expressions of loving kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. So that when we were talking a few weeks ago about praying the four immeasurables of love, this is one of the ways that Hindus and Buddhists do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your beautiful bride actually once taught me a very simple meditation that I believe she said she did, which is on the in-breath is Yahweh. Mm. So even the word, the Hebrew word for God, for the divine Yahweh, feels like a breath. Yeah. So at the beginning, mm -hmm. the breath of God mm -hmm. created, mm -hmm. the spirit, mm -hmm. Sophia, mm -hmm. was in the beginning. And I, I keep saying, I'm not going to do this, but... <laughs> I could go back and give the illustrations of sayings from the book of Thomas that 
again and again and again are either Sophia speaking or speaking about Sophia as the critical element in life-giving energy. Right, right, right. So is Sophia oneness? In a sense, I would, I think, yes. It's uh, the mystic Thomas Merton, most of us have heard of him, wrote a beautiful poem, a pretty long one. That also would take another whole class to read. I think it's like five pages long. Um, called, I, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Hagia Sophia. He writes of her as the hidden wholeness, the unity and integrity at the heart of reality. She's God's outpouring of love to all creatures. She's mercy, tenderness, and grace. And he's very intentional in using she. And we don't see the word she used a lot in poetry about God. It's so often he. Mm-hmm. And she is the manifestation of the light itself, and he likens her to sister, mother, nurse, to love, silence, and mystery. Uh, my professor and uh, one of the mentors that I have in my PhD program is Brian Swim, who wrote this wonderful book a while back called The Hidden Heart of the Cosmos. And he writes in mostly scientific language, but he has said before that he's, he really tries to stay away from Christ-centered or God-centered language because he wants to appeal to the singularity, right? The thing that is sing- singularly true about all of existence, which is that the, the cosmos is a singularity. So we exist in this singularity. We already exist in this one thing, but in that one thing, there's a lot of diversity. So he's he's a bit, he's writing about the cosmos with a deep sense of contemplation and awe. It's, mm-hmm. it's somewhat, myst- you've read the book, I think. Mm-hmm. It's quite kind of a mystical. By the way, yeah. if um, there is either on YouTube or through Netflix a movie mm-hmm. that kind of encapsulates this book. The Journey of the Universe. The That's journey- actually a whole other book, The Journey of the Universe. And uh, yeah. I'd highly recommend that since yeah. you're at home anyway and yeah. you want to find things to watch. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a great movie. Yeah, that's how I actually first sort of encountered Brian Swim and then sort of traced some of his work to the program that I'm in. Okay. So, so, so when he talks about sort of cosmological reality, and this is not, doesn't originate with Brian, but um, Teilhard was a, a, a big writer about unity and diversity than Thomas Swim. There were others before Teilhard, I'm sure. But what we mean in saying unity and diversity is that a host of dissimilar things are working in unison to hold up the whole. Unity's not uniformity, and it's not, and diversity's not necessarily fragmentation. It means that we're not just tolerating each other, but we're actually interdependent with each other and also with with all that is. I think so. this is one of the big lessons we have a chance of yeah. learning out of this time. Yeah. And, and um, we're not going to go back Mm-mm. because, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Right. We're being lured forward. Yeah. And, and I love that word, being lured, yeah. seduced. Yeah. Um, but what, it, what is luring us is something that transcends the uh, narcissistic, individualistic emphasis mm-hmm. of our culture. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is showing us how interdependent we are. Yeah. My well-being is wrapped up in your hand washing. Right. I mean, literally in literally. this context, and I am washing my hands. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, and I'm not licking toilet bowls, as some people were trying to prove their, their mightiness against the virus. Don't know if you read about that. What they prove is how crazy they yeah, are. exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, everything that happens at the level of the cosmos also happens in our body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think there are probably some really practical applications of that uni unity and diversity or the fact that we all evolve and live in a singularity. And I think we have to ask ourselves what, what is possible about that unity and diversity in, on a social level? What is possible about interdependence on a social level to create transformation, to create change, or to create, as um, I'm deep in Teilhard right now, more love that leads to a sort of collective consciousness? But it's um, Thomas Merton wrote that poem, Hagia Sophia, and in response to that poem, a young nun wrote her own version of Hagia Sophia. And she writes, can you hear her? The gentle whisper, she is calling you beyond what you know. What you believe to be truth or reality, she calls all humanity, beckoning them from fragmented, distracted lives, lives detached and alone, she gently calls with peace, beauty, and patience. My inner stirrings, the desire, the drawing, the eros fire within me, all are her voice speaking to me. When I awaken to her, when I finally answer, it is as if I touch all creation. I am whole, complete in the unity in which I belong. Sophia, Sophia, here I am. I hear your call and I come to touch the stars, to feel the divine fire, to know oneness, and I never want to forget you are ever present. Wow, that's beautiful. So you speak of that word vur, mm -hmm. right? and the, you know, the root of educate, educere, is mm -hmm. to lead out. Yeah. yeah. So, is, so here I want to reconnect ex yeah. what we're talking about, about where we started today, and that is this invitation, come unto me, mm -hmm. step into this, and um, I think one of the real tragedies of Christianity is that it led people, not in the beginning, but by the time that we were talking about last week in the Council of Trent, mm -hmm. to think that when Jesus said repent, he meant be sorry for your sins. That's not what he meant. He meant change your mind. Right. And the mind that we are seeking is what Paul called the mind of Christ, which is the mind of forgiveness, compassion, and inclusivity. Right. How, do we, how, how do we do that? Um, so if we do what you say and we respond to Sophia, we get a new mind. Mm -hmm. We get a new way of thinking. Buddha taught, in the sky there's no distinction of east and west. People create distinctions out of their own minds and believe them to be true. So we think things and then we think what we think is true. But what we think is very often not true, but influenced by the tribe that we grew up in or by the political party that we have or by denominational loyalties or by whatever. So years ago when um, I began to see, not here, but here, the importance of daily spiritual practice. And people would ask me, what is it? Well, it can be anything. Mm -hmm. 
but the, the central content and, and essence of spiritual practice is paying attention yeah. and being present mm-hmm. to what is. Mm-hmm. And what is is not governed by patriarchy. And it's not governed by our interpretation of what is. Right. It is by itself. So there is a man, um, I, I should have checked to see if he is still alive. I met him back in 1978, mm. I think. His name is R.D. Lang. He was a, a psychiatrist. Um, and he wrote something. Uh, he was very active in a movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Tavistock movement. I, I'm not familiar with it, actually. It's a, it's a movement uh, where people come together and form groups to study the interactions that develop in the group huh. by um, means of the unconscious rules that operate in the group. So studying systems. Yeah, studying right. systems. Right. It's an early, uh, one of the early things in system psychology. Mm-hmm. And there are rules operating all the time, just Absolutely. sometimes we are not aware of the very important rules that govern things. One of the important rules that governs things right now that we're talking about is patriarchy. Yes. We are in the gri- grips of patriarchy in this country. Mm-hmm. You'll say more about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. I've seen the slides that are coming. But I want to share with you uh, a paragraph that R.D. Lang wrote, uh, and you will see if you stay with this paragraph long, the influence this man has had on my own thinking. Artie Lang said, the range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. And because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there is little we can do to change until we notice how failing to notice <laughs> shapes our thoughts and deeds. We don't know. What we, we don't know, know what we don't know. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work. And sometimes what we see, uh, we don't like. Right. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, we can understand how denial can be a sort of comfortable place to live because we don't have to deal with some of those hard truths, either that are operating in us or that are operating in our community. The inequities of the healthcare system are coming right to the forefront Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. And the inequities of, um, which we'll talk about some next week, how people are, are significantly affected by their economic position, by their skin color, by their education, uh, or lack thereof. It's, yeah. Yeah. And they're hard things for us to look at. Well, it's, it's important to sort of distinguish, you know, so you are a patriarch, right? You're, you're a father. The literal word is father, right? Yeah. And, and pa- the patriarch in itself is, not, the un- is what, not what we're trying to peel back. It's the hierarchy of the patriarchy, the hierarchy of man ruling over. And specifically in this country, it's become white man ruling over, Right. So it's, it's not the patriarch himself we're trying to peel apart, but the system that we in some ways have all agreed to participate in that we need to notice. How is it operating in us mm-hmm. in ways that are building inequity or not? Don't so. take the head place at the table. <laughs> Me. 
No, that's what, <laughs> that's what Jesus said. Oh, okay, okay. Don't seek out that. Yeah. And what made me think of that in listening to you is, um, and, and this is not original line of me, I think I first heard Richard Rohr say this, is saints are saints, not because of what we think of them, right. but what we think of ourselves when we're in their presence. Right. Because they believe in this principle of equality. Right. And I think that it is the, it's very, it's the Sophia, it's embracing mm -hmm. the Sophia or allowing ourselves to be embraced by Sophia right. that leads the saints into this territory where they can be inclusive yes. and where they can be forgiving and where they can be empowering. And one of the things that I'm liking in this book that we are um, recommending that people read about when the disciple appears is that the, the author. Can you say his name? <laughs> no. Diarmut Omiraku. Oh, Did I do it? I think we'll you have to right. ask you who Thank, corrected us. Thanks, Stephanie Warfield, for, for helping us out. Say it again. Diarmut. Diarmut Omiraku. Omiraku. One of the things I, I love about his writing is that uh, he says, Jesus never said the phrase, the kingdom of God. Uh -huh. It is in the Greek New Testament, yeah. but Jesus didn't speak Greek. <laughs> he spoke Aramaic. <laughs> Aramaic. And so yeah. he would not have used that phrase. Uh -huh. And what, what um, Americo says is that what Jesus is talking about is inviting people into a community of empowerment. Right. And the people who need that empowerment the most are those who are on the bottom of the social right. heap. Right. So we can use a table analogy, and I think you've used this before. If I build the table, provide the table, put the table out, and sit at the table, and then start saying, you can come to the table, you can come to the table, you can come to the table, that's upholding hierarchy. Right. Versus if we build the table together, we step back, we look at it, does it fit our needs, and we each take a chosen seat at the table, right? That's sort of, I think, what Jesus was trying to do. And it's a huge problem that we have in this culture when somebody says, you need to assimilate. Mm -hmm. Who yeah. makes those rules? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I learned out of that Tavistock movement was that when, uh, let's say that I'm seeing a new client for counseling and that person comes into my office and I say, they say, where shall I sit? And I say, sit wherever you want to. Yeah. Who's in charge? Yeah. I am, mm -hmm. because I made the rule. Right. And it's the rule maker who's in charge of who makes the rules in right. American culture. Right, yeah. So can our rules be able to be inclusive and can the rule maker be aware of who to consider? In the, in the creating and the co-creating of those rules. The metaphor for, that I use for this, and I want to get to the yeah. rest of your stuff, <laughs> but the metaphor I use for this is a good basketball team. Yep. Um, you, got, you have a captain, mm -hmm. Usually. but the captain yeah. has to be a team player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, yeah, lots of good sports analogies for for good spiritual growth. So we got a lot to get yeah. to. I want to do this because we didn't do this last okay. week. I put this slide up and sure. you tell me what Absolutely. it means. So we'll get to the, um, to the spiral and the Fibonacci in one second, but I think what this, it, 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 it relates to what Sophia means to us on a physical level as well as on a spiritual level. And there's, you know, a great 
probably unanswerable question about whether a wise force governs the universe. Did the wise force come first and the universe come out of that or has wisdom developed and evolved over time? It's a simple, yeah, go for it. Matt Russell <laughs> just yesterday sent me the name of a book uh -huh. called The Beautiful Question. Oh. And it's it? that question. Okay. On my list. I just uh, uh, just started. Well, thank you, Matt it. Russell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the you know the two words that we can use to sort of get at that question are eminence and preeminence. Eminence is a feminine word, and it implies that any divine spirit is fully present in the world and evolving with the world, and thus the world is accessible to it and it's accessible to the world. Eminence implies that. God or wisdom or presence is an evolutionary process, right? And just just like everything else, just like every other living thing in the in the universe. And preeminence essentially means superior or coming before all that is. So it's not it's not a quibble that I really get lost in anymore. I'm not super interested in finding out like what is true. Did God come first and then everything, or is God or wisdom? Be imminent. I, I think I prefer imminence. I lean towards imminence and I love um, Joan Osborne's song, What If God Was One of Us? You know that song? Yeah. Just a slob like one of us. <laughs> and, you know, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way. It's a great song. It's a great song. And the idea of imminence really asks us to treat. I think imminence is more congruent with evolution. I do too. Yeah, absolutely. It asks us to treat every slob every homeless person, every patriarch, every politician, as if they were God. And it also broadens the understanding of incarnation. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we put incarnation in this singular figure of Jesus, when really Jesus, I think, came to say, no, we are all incarnated. Right. Yeah, yeah. Alan Watts brilliantly said, Jesus did not come into the world. Mm -hmm. Jesus came out of the world. Yeah, like right. the rest of us. <laughs> like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. So, so still there's this question of wisdom. Is there wisdom at the heart of the universe? Um, in a lecture once, and I don't know if this is written in one of his works, but I heard Brian Thomas Swim ponder whether there was something like mind operating in the kind of primordial ooze of the beginnings of times. And as it, you know, it's almost impossible that's perfect. And you see behind me these perfect shapes, these amazing things. Like how did something like a cockroach to a uh, elephant get create, get born, get created? And it, as perfect as nature is, as perfect as sequencing is in the universe, it's hard to imagine that there wasn't wisdom present. So what do those numbers yeah. mean? So Let's talk about the Fibonacci sequence. Let's take the spiral. So the Fibonacci sequence is essentially an ongoing loop and on an ever. What's the word Fibonacci mean? Uh, it's a, I think the person who came up with it. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to look it up. Oh, so shoot, I, see I, those numbers. I should have got done. I, my... I see those numbers yeah. and it reminds me that yeah. the other day I got in a fight with one, three, five, seven, and nine. Uh-huh. The odds were against me. <laughs> and you say you lost the There's a big game. roar from the audience. <laughs> Yes, I don't know if everyone heard it. Tomatoes but, <laughs> are being thrown. Can you cut the screen for a sec? <laughs> um, the numbers are, so zero, one, zero plus one is one. Then you go one, two, one plus two is three. 
then you go 2 plus 3 is 5, 3 plus 5 is 8, and so on and so on and so on. So you can see this is a never-ending, looping, expanding sequence, right? And, and it is this, the expansion of the spiral. It is sort of, it is a sequence of a spiral. And are these numbers in these pictures that you have put here? So the, the, the likening is that the Fibonacci sequence exists on every level of reality from the shape of the galaxy, which you see in the upper right, my right, your left corner. <laughs> um, and there is a sort of perfect spiral there that's ever expanding and the wisdom of a succulent that begins in the center and then spirals outward, and the wisdom of a snail shell, the, a hurricane, the, the, uh, our DNA. And there is, it is said that you know, Leonardo da Vinci was quite a genius, mm -hmm. and he painted the Mona Lisa, and that from her nose to around her hands is a perfect Fibonacci sequence. And I cannot not believe that that wasn't intentional. So we have here this sort of golden ratio of everything, and it also exists in us, right? Like, that's, that's a perfect Fibonacci sequence, the little spiral in our mm. hand, yeah. And the spiral gradually unfolds itself in such a way that it spins further away from the center and is ever, ever evolving or ever expanding. It's everywhere in nature, from the galaxies to the pattern of everything, as I just said. So it's here, and then if you go to the next slide, it's here, which is in the simulation of a cell becoming a fetus, becoming a baby, right? So that is also a spiral formation. And what it shows, this spiral shows that formulation and then spiraling out through the birth canal. So there's this kind of incredible, again, like life is spirit in nature. And I love the, the close relationship between spiral and spirare, to breathe. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So, the, you know, we have also a spiral keep going. I sh there was a tiny picture of this in the, in the sequence of spirals, but that's our spiral galaxy. And only spiral galaxies can produce life. We're not the only one, by the way, but we are one of millions. And but you can't have a flat or disc-shaped galaxy and also have life. That's what, that's what astronomers, or not astronomers, but what scientists think, right? Astronomers are scientists. You know what I'm saying, anyhow. Um, so we have this repeating from the smallest scale to the largest scale. And uh, an author that I really love writes that social change can also expand outward from the smallest to the largest scale. This is how movements like Black Lives Matter gets started, or Me Too, that one person says, hey, I'm, you know, Me Too has begun out of one person saying, this happened to me. And the second person says, Me Too. And the third person says, Me Too. And suddenly we're having a dialogue about uh, gender relationships and, gen and, and power. And that is it's in our midst, right? So mm -hmm. I love that, that even social movements can be sort of a fractal or expanding organized shape. So I think that's how it, I mean, those movements actually get legislation passed, right? Um, Eventually. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> On small levels in Texas, that just happened, actually, about um, clean waterways. And so that, that will most likely go on a federal level to, to impact waterways all over the space. So the feminine is also, I'm sorry, the spiral is also a feminine sim symbol. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And which is like, likened, again, to this generative force. It's birth, death, 
and rebirth. And the wisdom of the fe feminine, again, is the shape of everything. So she is unfolding in us. She's unfolding on a galactic level. She's unfolding on a body level. You can go. So this is, this is I've been creating a lot of artwork lately that sort of has revolved around this spiral image. I don't know how well y'all can see that, but this sort of butterfly effect of, of, of creation, right? A small thing happens and then eventually leads to a big thing. What are the numbers? Um, the numbers just say one, two, three, four. And why? Um, it's sequential and they're not, it's not the Fibonacci. It would have been much smarter if I had made those Fibonacci numbers. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Maybe I'll change it. <laughs> So I love that sequential unfolding, right? And there, you can't skip from, let's say, age one to age 88 overnight, right? Everything is sequential. Wisdom is also sequential. We aren't born with the kind of wisdom we need to have an adult faith. We must sequentially sort of grow into it. Mm -hmm. And wisdom is important on a social level because what we see being acted out in our society right now is really stuff that's happening at late adolescence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we're, you know, this this cone of like what came first? Did wisdom come first? Or, and a cone is a, a Buddhist term, right, mm -hmm. for an unanswerable question. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say more about that? What that, with the how, like, is a, does a tree fall in the forest and make a sound? What is the sound of one hand clapping? Right. right? The, so the 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 cone was, was developed in Zen Buddhism to um, help push the student into non-duality right. because at the rational dualistic level you cannot answer a cone yeah they're unanswerable right yeah and I think even that sort of that spiral movement of things is a little bit unanswerable because we have it at the smallest level and we have it at the grandest level right we can see galaxies so when we had that picture of uh, the black hole Poehi, it was mm -hmm. named, right, mm -hmm. um, from a Hawaiian professor of language. And that, you know, that's like, where is it in my notes? 5.9 million light years from Earth. By the time we saw it, both of us had changed, right? That it, in other words, by the time that came into our, our eyesight, it has, it's changed, and, and it perceiving us has also changed, yes. if it can perceive us. Right. right? So we can see these, we now have access to immensities, grand expansion, infinite, infinity. We have this concept of infinity, even if we can't sort of get to the edge of it. And we also have this concept of the very smallest part of matter, which is a quark. A quark is said to make up the body of an electron, proton, and neutron, which makes up the atom, which makes up all matter. Mm -hmm. So we can behold this grandness and this smallness, and I think there's a non-duality in that that we are both small and also immense. And uh, this is so hard to grasp. Mm -hmm. It makes it make sense to me why Jesus told stories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what is yeah. this What is this you are inviting me into? Yep. Come unto me, what is this? And Jesus would say, well, it's like, and yeah. then he would tell a story. That's right. And I think as we come into, you know, our, whether, let me start over, whether or not we believe wisdom to be an inherent force in the creation of the universe, the truth is we must come into it in order to continue evolution. Right. Yeah. Well, evolution is just a theory. 
so is creation. It's still it's still being <laughs> yeah. debated like that. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and it's the most widely accepted theory of existence, right? right. Yeah, it places all of us among among these immensities and these the smallnesses and the greatnesses. I think so. Um, I love this phrase that uh, so brought in their books and. Brian Swim's mentor was Thomas Berry. And Thomas Berry writes that wisdom, I'm sorry, science really must come into its wisdom phase to be able to hold the sort of non-duality of, of the universe as a scientific theory as well. Mm-hmm. I love that, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the meeting of science and mystery or science and religion. And that, that I've said in here once before that there's no such thing as nothingness because nothingness can't create something. But some terms that have been applied to sort of where from whence everything came is fecund nothingness. What does that mean? A fertile, a fertile nothingness, right? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, or an empty fullness. So yes. the, the, <laughs> these are cones in a way. Right. Right. And, it, and yeah. it's the heart of yeah. a lot of spiritual yeah. teaching everywhere. Right. And it's it's not inert. Not, you know, Sophia, wisdom is not inert. It's an active, infinitely possible truth. Whew, I just said truth. Yeah. <laughs> did you read the shack? Uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, in uh, it just occurred to me that um, the the metaphor for wisdom in that book, who is called Sophia in mm-hmm. the in that mm-hmm. book, um, is in a cave. Right. The dark night of the soul. Yeah, yeah. and that, and uh, that's one of the things that I think one of the most important lessons that I have gotten from Jim Finley is that. Um, if you want to experience what we're talking about, you have to go into that cave. Mm-hmm. Not dance around its openings. By yourself. Yeah. And you can't take anything that matters with you with you. Yeah. I've had a few dark nights. Yeah. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. yeah. These are, you know, this, and in that darkened cave, we can't see anything. There is an empty fullness, right? There's some, we cannot see, but there's infinite possibility around us. I think that's the equivalency of nothingness, right? What we can't see, we can't yet know. But when we can sit in the nothingness, we begin to know. You know, that I, I think in a conversation you and I had yesterday when we were talking about some future classes in here, we're talking about that one of the responses that people might make to some of what we say, particularly when we urge social action kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. They say, what can we do about this? And your response is, well, for the time being, just sit with it. Yeah, I think we, I mean, I know for sure when some of the most transformative times in my own life have been when I just slowed down enough to sit with pain. Mm-hmm. And there's like real pain in the world. And when we can sit with that, that actually grows empathy and it grows compassion and it grows wisdom. So maybe we'll get further into that, but that's, yeah. that's the Sophia in all of us, but. Take um, us on. Take us on. <laughs> so I think, you know, one of the, uh, I, I looked up what the Tao, the Tao, sorry, it's really just said Tao. I'm so Texan, um, <laughs> says about wisdom. And, you know, the Tao was written over 2,000 years ago by Lao Tzu. And he writes, those who seek knowledge collect something every day. Those who seek the way, the way is wisdom, let go of something every day. 
So wisdom is also a kind of freedom or liberation from having to be caught up, from having to be caught in a certain way of thinking. And the question I think we could ask ourselves is what does any of this have to do with having a grown-up faith, right? And I think wisdom asks us to let go of anger, greed, scarcity. It asks us to let go of hatred and bigotry and any concept of kind of the other versus us and rather seeing the other in us or experiencing ourselves in the other. And I think right now we're really needing our storytellers, our creatives, our inventors, our leaders, our healers, our mystics and shamans to kind of keep pulling us out, to lure us or beckon us forward. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we have some kind of um, fun facts. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. Um, you know, where wisdom is this feminine face of God, and it does intersect with feminism and women's rights, for sure, without seeing the feminine in, the, in reality or in the face of God, we, we might not be able to have women fighting for the rights of, you know, half of our population. So the feminine exists in all of us, men and women, but we've all leaned way too hard upon the masculine, I think, to gain acceptance in a society dominated by hierarchy. Did you know that, um, I read this and I uh, pulled out the leaders here, that did you know that the countries with the best, most proactive responses to COVID-19 so far, they have one thing in common? They're women. They're all, all these countries are led by women. And an article was written about what other leaders need to learn from these countries. They lead with, uh, they lead with love, first of all. Um, they lead with um, empathy. They have good technology. They, ha they are speaking truths. And they've been decisive. There has been no wavering in how they've proceeded in, during the wake of a pandemic. And the Solberg, the, the leader of Norway, got, did a program on national television just for children to say that it's okay to feel scared right now. It's okay to not know and we don't have all the answers. I mean, that's just such a tender and empathic thing right. to do. Yeah. Caring thing. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wise leadership choice. It's saying what is and saying it's okay to feel this way. It's the feminine quality that bends over creation and yeah. cares for it. Yeah, broods like a yeah. mother hen. Right. Come, come. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in our country, women make up fifty-one percent of the population, but only seventeen percent of leadership, and only thirty-four women in our country have served as governors compared to 2,319 men. That was data from a couple years ago, so it's probably different now. And the U.S. ranks 90th in the world, 90th, out of, in terms of female leadership positions. I think that's kind of low. We're in the grips of patriarchy. Yeah, that's yeah. the point. Yeah, exactly. So 6% of the population is usually serving as, our, as most of our political leadership. Right. And, and, and yeah. again, it's either that's just business as usual, yeah. or I'm not aware of that, or it doesn't matter, or whatever, mm -hmm. but the qualities of uh, masculinity gone wrong right. are uh, confusing love and sex and right. confusing being a bully with being strong right. and having no real sense of community purpose. Exactly, yeah. So I, this stat, I sent you that documentary, um, mm -hmm. Misrepresentation. Yes. 
if you get a, if you get a chance, watch it. it. Yeah, and, and she says on there that 6% of the population occupies most political se seats. Of that, the 6% is male, white, European-American, until Obama was elected, married and heterosexual, over 35, college-educated, and professional degrees. That's only 6% of our population. Rule. Who have these things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All so right. we need a balance. That's the point. <laughs> okay, I, I, yeah. I do not want to close this out. I'm so curious about two of the slides that you have. Okay. So explain Super this quick. to us. Yeah, so you know, even in evolutionary theory, evolution itself, we have learned the phrase survival of the fittest. It's, it's not, it's survival of the, the compassionate. And one of the things that Darwin couldn't quite make sense of was empathy. But what you saw in nature was an interdependent co-creativity, right? So in this slide, we have the ox pecker and the ox. The, the bird sits on the backs of large animals, one of them being the ox, and pulls off the ticks, eats the mosquitoes, so it's helping the ox, right? And the ox is helping the ox pecker by providing it food. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, you know... That's it, a beautiful creature, yeah. both of them. Yeah. Yeah, and this happens in, this is in nature everywhere all the time. This is not unique in one, two species, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's, there's interdependence, there's co-evolution in every aspect of the natural world. And this one? The sea anemone and the clownfish. The sea anemone has a, a toxic, what are these called? These. <laughs> um, shoot, I lost it. It's anemones, <laughs> okay. and it's toxic to almost every creature, and it's, it's, it's protection, but it's not toxic to the clownfish, which is an easily spotted fish because of its coloring and contrast. So the clownfish can go hide and be protected among the sea anemones. This is how nature helps itself, helps, helps itself out. So evolution is cooperative beautiful, more than it beautiful is Beautiful photograph. Okay, so... Um, what are we saying in summary? <laughs> um, that we need the feminine, that we need to get, be aware of the grips that patriarchy has on us. One of the things that Holly and I have in common mm. is that we both went to Harvard. Yes. Did you go to the Harvard church? I did twice because I had a friend who was student preaching there. Oh, so you, you didn't hear Peter Gomes? I, no, I only heard my friend. Yeah. Peter Gomes was the minister there when I went to Harvard in 1972 and three. Mm. And about 10 years ago, went back to Harvard, I mean, went back to Boston to perform a wedding. Yeah. And we took, um, I took the, everybody who wanted to go to the Harvard campus to show it off. And of course, it had changed so much in the intervening years, I yeah. didn't recognize it. Yeah. But I noticed it was the first Sunday of the new academic year when we were there. And Peter Gomes was preaching. Uh -huh. And I said, I'm coming back on Sunday to hear him. He'd been minister of that church for 40 years. That's unbelievable. I'm yeah. shooting, I'm shooting for that. Yeah, yeah I, you're I got, well I, on your way. <laughs> I got a lot of years here. Yeah. When Peter Gomes would be asked, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. He would say, I'm flourishing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to learn to do that. I can't right now because I think that flourishing, but I think it's something that we can head for. Mm -hmm. 
um, I think that we can begin to embrace the marks of adult, mature spirituality. And if you want to know what those marks look like, go back to the very first slide in this presentation and read the poem of Hafiz. Mm -hmm. It is a person who lives with lightheartedness and with no commitments to labels, but a commitment to the, the very kinds of things that Holly's been talking about, about compassion, about uh, empathy. Uh, and it's the lure of this, which is uh, a word I think I first heard uh, in Deschardin's writing. Mm. Mm. It's the lure of the future. Mm -hmm. And Ilya talks about yeah. the lure of the future. And our belief is that we flourish when we respond to the invitation from Sophia to step in to wisdom and understanding. That's the class in a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Could've, thank you. Could have got to the end first. <laughs> I love doing this with you. Likewise. And thank you for carrying the load today. I may figure out a way to get you to do that next week too. <laughs> Anyway, no matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this, you carry precious cargo. So watch your step and we will see you here again next Sunday.